You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, it's our last week of Be Intentional, and it's been awesome to walk through this series. We started with little babies, and we talked about what does it mean to set a foundation of discipline, of self-governing, and we walked through teenagers, and we walked through middle child, and we've walked through all sorts of ages. Are you single? Are you married? What does marriage look like? We've walked all the way up, and now we're going to talk about how to deal with my aging parents. How many of you have walked through a process where you've had to make some tough decisions along the way when it comes to your parents? Any of you in this room? Yeah. And how many of you would say you're kind of in that process right now? You're beginning to question, wow, what do I do for my parents as they're going to begin aging and getting to a certain level? How many of you would say that you're in that season right now? A lot of us, right? Well, we've started every week off in this series with your help with this quote, and it's this, nothing good ever happens by accident, right? We've got to be intentional. What does it look like to deal with our parents as they're aging. A lot of us in this room have parents and grandparents, maybe even some of you have great-grandparents who are still living, and they're in various stages of decline. In the last two years, both of my remaining grandparents passed away. They uh, got to the end of life. They were in their mid to upper 90s, and they, they both passed away, and probably within about 10 months of each other. And, uh, and we walked through that process. I had to watch what did my parents do to, to care for them in their later years. Heather's grandmother passed away this year, and we were actually in Israel. And so we got a phone call our last night on our trip to Israel where we were investigating would this be a great opportunity for our church. And we were looking at that, and we really realized, uh, we got the word that her grandmother, who has loved Heather so dearly all her life, uh, passed away. And so we've walked through what that looks like. And I'm looking at my parents now as they're in their stages later on. My mom's still living. She's remarried with my stepdad. My father passed away 19 years ago. And just watch, what do we do then? Like, like how are we going to care for my mom when my dad and his income and so forth had gone away? And we've walked with that. Now, I want to just say that chances are, a lot of us in this room, you're watching your parents at certain level of aging and in certain stages of decline. And, and if I'm saying that, and you're a high schooler or a junior higher in here, I am not talking about your 40 or 50-year-old parents. All right? When I say aging, thank you, yes. When I say decline, I am not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about their parents, okay? That there's some of us who are 40 and up who are watching our parents in various stages of decline. And what I want to do is look at the issue of how do I deal with my aging parents? And it's not just what I've learned from the scripture, but I depend on some of the best voices in this area because a lot of it is uh, new information for me. And so today I want to let you know that I'm indebted to the work of Dr. Donald Stanukian. He's professor of Christian ministry and leadership at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. And his wisdom in dealing with aging parents and the homiletical study of God's word in these areas is spot on. It's just tight. We've got permission to use some of what's in your outline will be from him. And so today, if you'll take your outline out, take that out of your program, you got some fill in the blanks, we've got some things that you want to, if you're taking notes today, write all over that page, and we're going to get started. I want to talk with you today about the fifth commandment. You've heard of the Ten Commandments. Today, I want to talk with you about the fifth one, the one that says, honor your father and your mother. And some of you are thinking, oh good, I hope the kids are listening, right? I hope they're in service today, and they're listening because you think uh, that scripture is given to kids, but what I want to tell you is that commandment is not given to kids. 
but to adults. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, where we find the Ten Commandments, we find this in verse 12, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And it was to a nation of adults standing at the base of Mount Sinai that God had given these Ten Commandments that were chiseled into tablets and they're coming down to this, these nation of adults that he's giving this instruction. And sometimes, though, we think, well, wait a minute, in the New Testament, I've heard something like that in regard to kids. And so you might flip into the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul is instructing Timothy at this time. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he quotes an Old Testament commandment, honor your father and mother. And he goes on from there. And you think, well, that's to kids. But what I want you to understand is in the New Testament context... Paul is saying that the word honor, as like in the Old Testament command, is one of those umbrella words. You know what I'm talking about? It's an umbrella word. And what I mean by an umbrella word is that honor has different applications depending on the age you and I are. If you're a young person, you're a high schooler, you're junior higher, you're living in your parents' home, and you are a child, maybe even in your parents' home, when you're going to honor your parents at that stage of life, at that point in life, you're going to display honor, one of the ways you're going to do that is through obedience. That's what honor means. It's an umbrella word, but God was talking to adults. We have to understand what the word honor means. Honor means to hold in a high regard. That's what the word honor actually means. In general, to honor means to hold in a high regard. And to hold in the high regard is going to take different forms depending on the age you are. When you're a child living in the home, you're going to obey. But as you get older, as you become an adult yourself, as you have aging parents, you realize that God is talking to adults about people at the other end of life. Not your children, but the people at the other end of life. He was talking to adults about what honor looks like when our parents are in their latter years of life. And that's what we want to see today. To honor our parents in the sunset years of life is to be ready to support them financially. Let me be clear. When our parents are aged, to honor means to support them financially. To support them economically is what it means. When they are retired, when they are living on a fixed monthly income and they don't have other means of generating income or adding to their resources, to honor them means to provide anything they need in housing or in food or in medicine or whatever's needed for a comfortable later life. So today I want us to look at a couple scriptures which are going to teach us that to honor our parents in their later years of life means assisting their financial needs. I I want you to see from these scriptures that that's not just something I'm making up, but that is something that God is saying, that God is instructing. That's what he means when he uses the word honor. We're going to look at those scriptures. We're going to find out that the word honor is used in a financial context, that God's word there is going to talk about a financial discussion. And when God says the word honor, He's talking in terms of financial support. Secondly, after we look at these scriptures, if we have a heart to do so, I want to give you three practical tips on how to make such a thing a reality and put it into practice. If you're taking notes today, number one on your outline is this. The scriptures teach that honoring our parents in their latter years is a primary command and responsibility. 
a primary command and responsibility. What's interesting is ever since God started giving commands, people started looking for loopholes, right? Think of the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. People are looking for a loophole. Don't commit adultery. Well, everybody's doing things Don't in these different areas. Don't murder. You say, well, maybe I won't murder. But Jesus says, looking at people in the New Testament, you haven't physically murdered somebody, but when you hate your brother or your sister, it's like you've committed murder in your hearts. God doesn't see a difference there. He basically takes the Old Testament command and makes it applicable to you and me. We are looking for loopholes. Looking for loopholes is something that has been part of the human condition from the very beginning. It's what we've done. And what happens is when you and I begin to look for loopholes, then we end up trading our selfishness, which we receive and it doesn't satisfy. We trade it for having a joyful life and God wants us to fulfill his command so we have a joyful life. And among God's 10 commandments is this command, number five, to honor your father and your mother. And these are commands just like do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet what other people have. The human experiences always look for loopholes, a way out. And we become selfish when we do that. But God wants you and I instead to experience joy. So in the Old Testament, we have this command to honor our father and mother. But in the New Testament, we find this interesting interaction between the Pharisees, the religious elite, and Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bible, open with me to Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So they come in right away. And I need to let you know straight up that they are not coming to Jesus and saying, Hey, uh, just as a matter of you know, cleanliness, why don't they wash their hands before they eat? This is not the question that your mom asked you when you came in from playing before you were going to have lunch. This is not that question. In fact, this is a bunch of hostile Pharisees and teachers of the law who come to Jesus and say, how come your disciples aren't following our ceremonial rules, our particular human-made form of ceremonially washing your hands, which isn't for cleanliness, it's to represent that I'm washing the general uncleanness of just going through worldly life off of me before I eat. It was a human-made tradition. It was not a command. It was not Old Testament. It was not part of the law. It was a human-made regulation. And they were coming to Jesus and saying, why don't they do? Your disciples, you should follow what you do. Why don't they do what everybody's doing because we made these rules up that everybody should follow? This is not the same question that your mom asked when you came in to get your hands clean before you eat. Now, a number of years ago, we have a, had a neighbor named Dylan, and Dylan uh, came over one day. He was maybe eight years old at the time, and, and he came over, and Heather was baking, and Dylan wanted to help. And so Heather's like, okay, Dylan, you guys are out playing. Go in and wash, wash your hands. And so he goes in, he washes his hands, comes in. They're all clean. Literally like a minute later, he's got his finger in his ear. Okay, Dylan, all right, all right, go back out, wash your hands. So he washes his hands again, gets all clean, comes back in, literally like with another minute, he's like rubbing his hands through his hair. 
Heather's like, Dylan, go wash. I think Dylan washed his hand 10 times in just baking cookies. I mean, it was, I'm thankful for Heather, right? Like she knows, hey, hygiene in the kitchen matters. That, but this is not that question. It's not what she was asking Dylan to do or your mom asked you to do. This was this ceremonial washing. And they were upset that the disciples didn't conform to the human expectation of traditions. I want you to say the word for a moment, Corbin. Will you say that word? Turn to your neighbor and say Corbin. They have no idea what you said. Now you're going to explain it to your neighbor. Corbin means a gift. Say a gift. A gift. It's almost the time of giving gifts, right? So that's what Corbin means. And, and, and here's what happens. I need to let you know that there's a tradition, and it's called Corbin. It means a gift. And then what happens is this, that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, they say, why don't your disciples do the ceremonial washing of hands? Jesus is going to reply to them that, listen, I want to point out that one of your traditions breaks God's fifth commandment. And Pharisees, given the choice, you tell people to keep to the tradition at the expense of breaking the commandment. And that commandment is the one of Corbin. Corbin, most traditions start out good, right? Most traditions start out good. You say, Dave, what do you mean? I, well, there was a generous God-fearing man named Nicholas, and he saw friends in need who had gone destitute, and he threw coins in, and they landed in stockings. And as a God-fearing man taking care of another brother and his family, he was elevated to the status of being a saint, Saint Nick. And as time goes on, and as the movie Elf came out, you begin to see worship of a man named Santa, right? So you see this you know, huge thing, and all of a sudden, a tradition, it starts out good. But given time, I mean, if you see Elf's reaction to Santa's coming, it's, right, classic movie scene. It's almost worship. God's first commandment, by the way, is you shall have no other gods before me, but you should worship and serve the Lord alone. That's commandment number one. But sometimes traditions start out good, and given time, Sometimes we teach our generations to worship a tradition. And maybe that worship takes precedence over God. Maybe not. Not all traditions are bad. But traditions typically start out good. So this is the way that the tradition of Corbin would start. The tradition of Corbin would start when the Pharisees said, we want to be able to give people a way to give a gift to God, to dedicate something to God. And so there's a farmer, and let's say this farmer has four fields, and, and really for his family needs, he only needs the income from three fields. So he's got this fourth field, and he decides, well, what do I want to do with that? Well, I'm going to go to the priest and say, you know what, all my needs are met with this fourth field and its income that comes from that produce. I want to give that as a gift unto the Lord. And the Pharisees and the teachers of law would say, perfect, why don't you Corbin that gift? You will dedicate it to the Lord. And the farmer says, awesome, I'll do that. I'll go ahead and do that. So he does that. His fourth field is given as a gift to the Lord. The income from that actually goes then to the Pharisees, to the church at that time. And he gives them that gift. But then his father comes to him and says, son, I... I don't know if you heard what happened, but the locusts, they came in and they ate my whole crop. Like, I got nothing. Like, it, it's worked for years, but this year the locusts came, they ate my crop up. And I know, I know you've got four fields, and I was just wondering, could, could you help me out till I could get my feet back under me? Could you help me out for this year? Because 
Uh, I know you got that fourth field in the sense that it goes to the priest. He goes, yeah, I'll check on it. He goes to the priest, says, priest, hey, my dad, hard times. I need to help him out. And the, the priest would say, um, I'm sorry. You need to hold to the tradition. That is a gift unto the Lord. It's not yours anymore. It's unto the Lord. And so by holding this tradition up, this man was unable to honor his father and his mother. And Jesus begins to point them out to him. See, this is a godly son going to ask. He wants to honor God with this stuff. He goes to the ask, and he's going to honor God. He wants to honor his father and mother, but that's unavailable because of the tradition of Corbin. Well, it doesn't take long for an ungodly son to see a loophole. So what does he do? He's got some fields, but he also has some aging parents. And really, he's like, honestly, I don't want to take care of them. I really have some other needs, some other aspirations, some other business interests. And what I want to do is I'm going to go to the priest, and I'm going to find out just how sticky that Corbin gift is. And so he says, priest, I have these fields, which are for my family income, but I got this other field. Can I Corbin it unto the Lord? for a specific amount of time, maybe six months to three years. And the priest says, yeah, yeah, you can do whatever you want there. That's fine. You can corporate it for a while. That's no problem. And the ungodly son says, good. I've just tied up all my assets because I know my aging parents are going to be in need. So the dad comes to the ungodly son. says, son, I, I need your help. I don't have anything left. Can you help me out? And the son says, gee, dad, I'm sorry, but you're just living too long. That's what he's really thinking. The second son, the ungodly son, has now entered evil thinking and doing. He's going to tell his dad, no, dad, sorry, it's all tied up. It's all in other places. I have nothing for you. But in his heart, he's begun to entertain evil thoughts because he knows They'll pass away. They'll come back. It reminds us of the sons that we looked at last week. Do you remember the prodigal son that we looked at last week who went to his father and while his father was still living said, hey, father, give me my share of the estate. In other words, dad, I've got needs. I wish you were dead. Dad, you're living too long. And shockingly in the story Jesus tells, the dad divides the property and gives it to his son. But in this case, Jesus is beginning to elevate and show the Pharisees that, listen, you're holding up a tradition that actually breaks the fifth commandment. And if you have your Bible, look with me at Matthew 15, beginning with verse 3. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say... That if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, right? Devoted to God, it's a gift, right? If you say what should have been used to support your mom and dad is actually Corbin, then they are not to honor their father or mother with it. He says, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition." He's saying, you're holding up a loophole, and not all traditions are bad, and tra most traditions start off good. They start off innocent. They start off good. Evaluate your traditions. As you enter the holidays, what's the end game of our traditions? 
Is it not that because of the birth of Christ, God become flesh, that we're so happy that the only way to erase my sin is the blood of Jesus. Nothing else could do it, not even my own blood. But I'm so happy that God would become flesh, that he would give his son, that his son would then raise up and be raised up on a cross to die for my sin. I'm so happy that God provided a way out so that I could have life that I'm going to give gifts to everybody. That's the reason for Christmas. That's why we give gifts. But evaluate, what's the end game? Sometimes we inadvertently start a little tradition, but we don't know what is the underlying message that it might teach. You might take your elf on the shelf, and to you it's cute, but to your kid they're like, something's always watching me, and now I have to perform. And they learn the performance game, and like, I gotta perform for the elf on the shelf or it's gonna bust me, right? And it does bad stuff, but you know, whatever, right? What's the end game? What are we really teaching? Not all traditions are bad. And most traditions actually start off good. But we want to think about them. We don't want to institute traditions that cause us to worship something other than the Lord our God. We have a tradition in America. It's called Thanksgiving. And we set aside a day where we're thankful to God. Well, it comes back to the point where the pilgrims were thankful they were going to starve through the winter. But through some of the American Indians, they were able to find a way. And they're saying, God, you are our source. God, you are our provider. And you send another people to help us from starving. And so we're, we are thankful to you. And they instituted the Thanksgiving. And so we do. We got to be Thankful, And we say, well, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm thankful, and, and that's good, but you, you're not grateful or thankful unless you give gratefulness or thankfulness to something. So you can't say, well, I'm just grateful to my family. Well, who are you grateful to? Yourself? You're like, hey, I, would, I had a lot of kids. I'm grateful for me. What, no, you got to be grateful. To, you say, I'm grateful to the Lord. I'm grateful to God as my source. I'm grateful to God as my provider. I'm grateful for family. I'm grateful for all these different things. It's a good thing to be grateful. I'm grateful for rain. <laughs> it's a good thing to be grateful. We have to be grateful for some. But what happens? Most traditions start off great. And we're grateful. But then we go from gratefulness to Black Friday, which, by the way, Black Friday now starts on 5 o'clock on Thursday. So we go from gratitude to self-indulgence, and what happened? Most traditions start off good. Love the Lord your God and worship him only. Evaluate our holiday traditions. Why? Because sometimes, just so subtly, traditions can become opportunities for sin. And we might worship the tradition more than the source of the tradition God himself. So Paul then later in the New Testament writes, you say, well, here's some Old Testament. Here's what Jesus said. But what does Paul say in the New Testament? In the New Testament, Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor, about how to handle church affairs. He's saying, there's just some practical things I need to let you know. And you've got a responsibility over resources. There are some practical things you need to know about how to approach different issues. And he talks with Timothy about two classifications of widows. There's one classification of widows that the church should help, and there's another classification of widows that the church should not help. The first classification of widows are those who in every definition of the word are actually a widow. It says this, there are some, the first, are those who are believing, they're believers in Christ, they're widows, they have no family left. Not just no husband or spouse left, but no families left. They are over 60 the husband has died, 
their primary means of income and assistance available to them is gone. There are not programs available to them. There's nothing else. Church funds should support these widows. That's the right thing to do. But he said there's another group of widows, Timothy, that the church funds shouldn't have to support. And he said those are ones who uh, their husband has died, but they still have family living, family who could take care of them. They should financially care them, uh, take care of them. And the church funds shouldn't have to support them. Maybe they're younger and they could remarry or they have other family members available and the church shouldn't have to support that is what Paul says. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, it says this, give proper recognition. Everyone say proper recognition. Okay, proper recognition, follow with me, is a Greek New Testament word that exactly models the Hebrew Old Testament word for honor. Okay? It's talking about financial support. He said, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has no children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to, to who? To God. And we go on from chapter to verse four to all the way to verse eight. He says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, so what is Paul saying? In the New Testament context, you got to realize that there's a natural outpouring of your faith, and that's to care for your family members who are in need. And, and this is what he says. I have actually heard, verse 8, I've actually heard it used by Christian organization as a sales pitch for life insurance. Hey, if you don't provide for your family, then it's like being worse than an unbeliever. Well, that's true, and I do have life insurance, and life insurance is a very good idea. And I want, if I were to pass, for there to be something for my children and my wife that is set aside so they could continue on. It's a good thing. But I want you to know that verse 8 is not talking about the generation that comes after me. It's talking about the generation that has gone ahead of me. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about if we don't care for the generation that's gone ahead of us, then we're worse than an unbeliever. You've denied the faith. So let me give you some practical solutions. A on your outline is this. Supporting your parents comes ahead of commitments to the Lord's work. Right? It comes ahead of Corbin, gifts dedicated to God. It comes ahead of things given to the Lord's work. Secondly, supporting our parents reveals more than anything else our own genuine godliness. Now, many of us in this room, you already have a heart to do this. This is like a no-brainer for you. You're like, of course I would. Of course, we'd figure it out. We'd make it work, whatever, right? Some of you, find that that would be extremely difficult because of what you've been through. And we're going to talk a little bit about those here today, but maybe you've already felt that way already. And if you have a heart to do this, if God's laying that on your heart and you have a heart to do this, I want to give you some practical skills. So number two in your outline says there are three specific actions that will enable us to follow through 
on this command, okay? Three specific actions. The first is agree with your spouse that taking care of your parents will come ahead of any other expenditure. So sit down and have a conversation with your spouse that it will take precedent, taking care of them will take precedent over any other expenditure in our lives. Now, listen, most of us will not need to ever do this because through your, maybe your parents' pension or through their savings or monies they set aside or things that they have, the assets and so forth, they will be taken care of. Many of them will not need to do this, but sometimes what was set aside given 15 years is not enough. It was enough, it seemed back then, but it's not enough now. Maybe you help them in a very practical way. You help them live where they live, where maybe they live out of state or they live where they're comfortable and you say, I wanna help you live where you're comfortable. Maybe the cost of living is lower and I, I wanna help you do that. But as they age, as they decline, sometimes you realize that that no longer is a possibility. Other times you gotta discuss having them maybe come and live with you. And I don't know about you, but if you have in-laws and if you have a spouse and you have a conversation like this, something really crazy happens in that conversation. You begin to sit down, you talk to your significant other, and as you begin to have this conversation, a weird thing happens. You find that in your conversation, you think of all the grandparents, like her parents or your parents, and you begin ranking them. Right? There's one, and you're like, oh, well, we think of her, of course. She could come live with us. Like the kids would love it, we would love it, that would be easy, no problem. And then you think, well, there's this other one, and ooh, well, I don't know. I mean, it might work, but we would seriously have to have some conversations. I mean, we just would, right? We'd really have to have some conversations. And then there's always that one that everyone's like, uh, I don't know. Isn't there some state program, right? I mean, you, you begin ranking them. A weird thing happens. Listen, God says that honoring your parents comes ahead of any of your other commitments. A cabin, trading up on a new car, even a kid's education. You say, seriously, a kid's education? I need to let you know something. That there is not a verse in the Bible that says parents must provide for their kid's education. I mean, they will look for it, but it's not in here. However, there is a verse that says, honor your father and mother. Now, I want to say that when you honor God by honoring your father and your mother, rarely, if ever, would you see a kid suffer because their parents honored God in regard to their parents, right? I mean, let's be honest. You say, when you and I honor the Lord, God will take, you know, more of our, he'll make our 90% go farther than 100% without God. We honor God with the first and the best. And when we do that, when we honor the Lord, you're rarely going to see a kid suffer for it. God, God will see that you're honoring him. And God will see that your kids get an education. God will see that you're honoring him, that you're obeying him by honoring your father and your mother. And God will see that your kids could get a scholarship or a grant for their education. Or God will see that you're obeying him and that your kids 
get the chance to go to a state school, which may be cheaper in tuition than out of state. God might even see that you obey him and that you're honoring him, and he will see that your children get the privilege, some of them, by working for their education like you and I maybe did. But the first step is to have a conversation with your spouse and then your relatives. If you've got brothers or sisters and you're going to say, well, how in the future are we going to care? How are we going to honor mom and dad? You're going to have a conversation with your relatives. You're going to have a conversation with your spouse. The first step is agree with your spouse that taking care of your parents will come ahead of any other expenditure. Second, tell your parents of your commitment. Tell them. And I got to say this clearly. Listen, I get relationships. And one of the things about that is that sometimes there are sorrows and hurts and tensions and difficulties between you and your parent. And I get that. But I got to tell you, if you were to sit down and tell your parents of your commitment to take care of them, it will do more to heal those sorrows than almost anything else you could do. Why? Because after they're done and they're retired and they've done making their money, there's not other streams. Typically, a man is going to say, okay, I've kind of planned out, but is there enough? His greatest concern, he's going to wake up in the morning and not think I got to get into work. He's going to wake up in the morning and go, is there enough? And then he's going to look online. He's going to see stats that more men die quicker than women on average. And he's going to say, who will take care of this woman who's grown old with me after I'm gone. That's what's critically important in the later years. I'm telling you, if you've got sorrows and difficulties with your folks, there are few things that will pave over those and heal those than having a conversation like this with your commitment. And sometimes, sometimes your parents will be like, no, 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 there's plenty put away and all that, and you might find that there is. But just to know That if all that ran out, you would say, I'm available. It's huge for their heart. And third, you say, how in the world, Dave, would we ever do this? Here's the secret. Increase your current giving to the Lord to a level where hundreds of dollars each month can be transferred to your parents without changing your family's economics or lifestyle. What do you do? You honor God with the first. Why? Because honoring your parents comes above Corbin, gifts dedicated to the Lord. If necessary, those funds that you've been honoring God with would be available to honor your parents. In the meantime, you're gaining the Lord's blessing because you're honoring him with the first and honoring him with generosity above that. That you've elevated this. You're saying, God, I'm being generous to your work and you're going to first-hand experience in these living years, God's blessing on your life. Now, I'm not saying that we should all transfer our tithes right now to our parents. In many ways, you're going to find that you're able to care for God and honoring him and care for your parents. You're going to see that that's the way it works most often. But sometimes the need might require institutional care, which is very expensive and a large expense. But by doing this, by increasing your current giving to the Lord 
to a level where hundreds of dollars each month could be transferred to your parents without changing your lifestyle, your economics. Listen to me. You will have the strength to be able to meet their need. You will have the strength already built in, the means already built in to meet the need. Isn't that good news? And then some of you are going to go and tell your parents this, and and they're going to say, well... Son, listen, I, I know what your living expenses are. I know your single income. I know whatever. And I know you guys need it. There's plenty here. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But dad, if the time ever came, if what you've set aside isn't enough, I just want you to know we're there. Dad will look at you and say, good son. Good son. Because you've thought about how to honor your parents, in their latter years, honor your father and mother. For some of you, it's a joyful thought. Of course you would do it. But for others, there are sorrows. But knowing that this meets them at the need of their greatest concern in their latter years, there are a few things that you could do that would heal over. It's a really a blessing, and it's an ultimate testimony to God's goodness in your life, his provision in your life, and your commitment back to him. Say, God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to honor my father and mother as you told me to. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to encourage you today to have that conversation with your relatives. And I also want you to have that conversation with your parents. Don't let them stress and worry about what ifs. Tell them ahead of time. Tell them your commitment. They can't read your mind. They can't know. Tell them. Father, as we're before you today, I just know that there are some in this room who have never understood that you provided the strength to wash away our sin. And that was through your son, Jesus. God become flesh. That baby born at Christmas grew up And he gave his life so that our sins could be washed away. But it only happens when we give faith, when we put faith into the action that Jesus did on the cross, that our sins are gone. And so God, today, if there's somebody in this room who wants to put their faith in you, it's you're you're a gentleman, you allow us to give ourselves to you. And if that's you today, if today's the day, you're like, I'm gonna give my heart to the Lord. I'm gonna ask him to forgive me of all my sin. I'm gonna experience the fact that my sins are washed away and that I can become a new creation on the inside. If that's you today, then you pray a prayer like this right after me. Jesus, today, I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life, that you were God. I ask you to wash me as white as snow. Make me a new creation on the inside. Because today, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.